C3, Connecting Coaches Cognition, Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed coaching for the coach. Welcome back to another episode of C3. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm still here at a distance with Violet Christensen. Violet, what's new in your world? Well, you know, my world is back upright, which is really lovely. I am back on two feet. I look slightly less professional than normal with my tennis shoes on, but um, at least we got the dress pants back in action and um, I am back walking around. So it's just nice to be regaining um, some normalcy in my life. And my girls are back at school. They are very excited to see their teachers and be back learning in person. And um, just, they, I could barely hold them back the first day um, to walk slow enough to hobble with me to drop <laughs> them off. So that has just been really nice to regain some normalcy for sure. <laughs> well, that's awesome. We're glad you're up and running again. It's, it's just so nice and it's interesting how um, you have coached me about self-care and about work and home balance for almost three years now, um, even prior to starting this podcast and how if you don't slow down, then life might actually make you stop like it did for me. And I think it was a, a great opportunity to just stop and reflect and find some more balance in my life and be able to be even more appreciative for those little things every day. I think uh, the year of COVID has made us all appreciate little things more, but um, even just not um, just being able to walk normal or take your kids to school is just such a such a blessing. And so it's been nice to be able to reflect and take some time to um, to just be able to slow down intentionally instead of having life slow me down. <laughs> it's amazing that universe just comes and hits you right in that face of that message. Sometimes it's funny how that you works. know. If you- yeah, if you're not going to listen, it'll stop you right in your tracks, that's for sure. So I am glad, and I'm going to just take this as a learning moment and try to find more ways to slow down and be intentional about it. I even found um, one of my new favorite things. I found a new app that you take um, three seconds of video of a day, and then it gets to be put together. And so I'm not much of a journaler or um, just a person who like can do a gratitude journal the same way. So for me, because I'm so photo oriented, that that has been something that has helped me remain mindful of my purpose and what I'm here for, which is my family and all those good little moments to capture. So it's been fun to kind of collect little pieces of joy throughout the month and be able to capture those at the end of the month to see what you got, what you got in front of you, right? And what a gift for your girls as they get older to be able to look back and have all those little moments collected for them. It's so fun. It's their favorite thing to review. Can we see our video of us? And then, you know, it helps them to be grateful as well. I talk about, well, what did you see in there that you really appreciate? What was the most fun that you had? And um, it helps as a good conversation point too. So very fun. But what's going on in your world, Courtney? What have you been up to lately? Just sticking in my COVID bubble, uh, we just got the announcement in Colorado the other day that educators have been moved up on the vaccination list um, to possibly as soon as next week. Um, and we'll be getting vaccinated through our district. So I'm really excited to see how that plays out and kind of what the game plan is. And hopefully um, here in you know, a month, we'll have fully vaccinated educators amongst us. And I'm really looking forward to it, hopefully taking the edge off of some of that fear our educators have in the classroom. Um, we know it's not foolproof. We'll still be following social distancing and masking, but hopefully just knowing at the end of the day that we have the opportunity to be vaccinated if you choose that and that, you know, your percentage chance of getting COVID comes down exponentially, I think will help a lot of people sleep better at night. So it's exciting to watch the process from the testing of the vaccine to now the possibility of it actually ending up in my arm. So that's a day I'm looking forward to. I think you and quite a lot of educators will be put at ease, both our hearts and our minds, knowing that we have that option available. So huge. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, I'm so thankful that we're in a place where we have a district that has spoken up for us and is going to give us the opportunity to be vaccinated through them. Um, I imagine the process will run quite smoothly versus trying to get on these waiting lists and things I'm hearing 
a lot of crazy stories, um, but UC Health this past weekend was able to vaccinate 10,000 people in two days and is now pledging to, you know, ramp that up and do even more um, successful vaccination. And that's apparently who's going to be running our vaccination protocol. So I'm really looking forward to, for those of you that don't know, I was an EMT in a former life um, when I was in college. So (laughs) I'm a bit of a science medical nerd uh, when it comes to stuff like that. So I'm interested in all the logistics and things to see how that'll all play out, aside from the excitement of getting those immunities from the vaccination. I love how you always keep us informed. We always know what's going to be coming down the pike. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good (laughs) or a bad thing sometimes. It's good to be well-informed. It's good to be well-informed. Speaking of well-informed, today we have Adam Geller, who is the author of Evidence of Practice Playbook for Video-Powered Professional Learning and the founder of Athena. He started his career in education as a science teacher in St. Louis, Missouri, and since 2011, Adam has overseen the evolution of Athena from a paper-based prototype into a research-informed and patented platform used by schools, districts, teacher training programs, and professional development providers. Adam has written on educational technology topics for various publications, including Education Week, Forbes, and EdSurge, and he has been an invited speaker about education technology and teacher training for conferences at home and abroad. Adam, welcome to C3. We're super excited to have you join us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, so excited to be here. We are excited to dive in with you and learn more from you, so thank you for being here. We wanted to start with getting to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell us about how you got into coaching and also your road in education? Sure. So uh, I started my career in education as a teacher. I was a science teacher in St. Louis, Missouri. And um, I think that experience as a first-year teacher really impacted how I'm doing what I'm doing today. So I was a first-year science teacher. I was in a building where, uh, you know, my principal was very... um, direct and uh, open to me that she didn't have a background in supporting a science teacher. You know, so I was there, I was a first year teacher and I was struggling and my principal wasn't well equipped to support me. Uh, So I've been there. I know what it feels like to want to be the best teacher you can be and not necessarily have someone that you can access uh, to say like, Hey, you know, how do you teach inquiry style learning in a middle school classroom or high school classroom? Um, so fast forward a little bit, uh, I was on the national strategy, strategy team of a nonprofit and thinking about how to build structures for coaching and support across lots of different contexts and even different states. And suddenly there was like, kind of like a light bulb moment, uh, where I thought, wait a second, what if you could, uh, actually do some of the coaching, but actually do it online with video and a set of tools that enabled you to leave that really kind of targeted specific feedback uh, that you could do if you had been in there in person to tell a teacher what you had seen happening in his or her classroom. Uh, So uh, that's kind of the seeds of how I end up starting at Dina. Um, And uh, maybe later, not the next question, you have to ask me at least one more question in between. Maybe I can tell you how Justin Bieber plays into all of this. Um, but, uh, the, the important thing here is I got into coaching because I was a teacher myself. Oh, now you have us pulled in and intrigued to hear more. (laughs) Well, hopefully we'll have your viewers pulled in to keep listening past at least one more question to hear why Justin Bieber has anything to do with coaching. So did you actually get the opportunity to use video in your classroom? Yeah, I did actually, um, but in some ways a very different context. So it wasn't originally in a coaching context. Uh, I was recording videos uh, so that students who were not in class for you know any number of reasons, but especially uh, for schools that, for students that were in in-school suspension, it was just ripping me apart that they were there in school but not able to be in class with me. And so I was recording my lessons and actually. Uh, putting them online, uh, you know, this is uh, more than 10 years ago now. So that putting videos online was like a big crazy thing. And I remember like going home and like having to compress the videos for hours and then upload them and, you know, they'd be online. Either, either way, um, the powerful thing was that, yeah, the videos were there for the students, but I had the opportunity to watch myself. 
And, uh, you know, like many teachers, of course, the first things you start to notice are some of the more superficial things uh, when you see yourself on video. Oh, uh, why am I standing there like that? Why am I wearing those types of clothes? Why do I sound like that? Uh, but very quickly, I was able to start to really analyze my practice. And, um, you know, I, hopefully it, it made me a better teacher and it allowed me to shorten those cycles of reflection uh, and implementation to get something done. You're still ahead of your time capturing video for students who couldn't be physically in the classroom. And here we are in 2020, where now every teacher across the country is experiencing this capturing of videos. And I wonder, you know, it's an interesting point, what reflection they're getting just from hearing themselves on a video platform or seeing themselves in that light and how that's shifting their practice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you kind of hinted at something really interesting there. There's actually research basis in the fact that teachers will actually improve by watching themselves on video. So that's even in an unstructured, unsupported context, that the actual process of just doing it and being able to step outside of yourself and really see yourself in some ways as others do, as your students do, as your coach or your colleague does. Um, because, you know, otherwise we're kind of trapped inside our heads and looking at the world through our own two eyes. Uh, but video gives us this incredible power to really observe ourselves. And that that is shown to, to lead teachers to change, uh, even if you don't have some sophisticated coaching structure or sophisticated uh, or willing coaches able to guide you in that process. I love that idea that even if they're just watching the video, they're still going to be reflective in some manner. You're always critiquing yourself in some way or getting in your own head of, oh, what, what's happening here versus there, or just seeing the reality of what happened as opposed to how it felt as you were trying to teach it and balance the many, many tasks in which you're trying to accomplish at one time while teaching, right? Like you actually see the reality mm -hmm. and you're more reflective about it. Mm -hmm. You spoke in your book, Adam, of evidence of practice about building that culture of trust. And we know that's so pivotal for video coaching. Can you share with our listeners some of your strategies for building this culture over time? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, first of all, the, the important thing is someone who's thinking about bringing video into uh, you know, a professional learning process or a process where you are using video to strengthen, for example, the coach-teacher relationship is talking about this idea of trust, really acknowledging that what are the ground rules? We have to talk about that. You can't assume that someone feels safe just because you ask them to, to record a video. Um, so I think talking about it first and talking about how those videos will be used, uh, talking about what they are used for and more importantly, what they're not used for, right? Like I'm, I'm hinting around, but I'll, I'll kind of put down my foot a little bit. Like, you know, it's not that videos can't be used for evaluative purposes, but our conversation here is about coaching and professional learning and growth. And that means those videos are not a high stakes evaluation, right? And setting up that barrier and that mental wall and saying, look, if you put a video inside of Athena, uh, it's for coaching, reflection, personal growth, and nothing else. If you choose to do something else with that video, great. Um, so I think that's the first big thing. The, the other thing is that I'm really, uh, you know, adamant about. Um, even though there are some uh, great examples of where this hasn't been the case to change teachers' minds, uh, but I'm really big on letting teachers record themselves. Don't go in and do video to a teacher, right? Like part of this power is that they can actively participate. They can actively choose which video they're sharing, which lesson they're recording. Um, that empowerment is so crucial to educators across so many things that happen in their professional day-to-day -day experiences, but especially in this when you're asking them to trust you, to be vulnerable, to be open to a conversation about change. You don't want to rob them of the ability to be in control, right? I mean, for lack of a better word of saying it. Um, the other thing that I, I would say uh, for building trust is, you know, start small, start low risk, make it easy to get started. Um, there might be any number of things happening in a classroom, but if, uh, and, and, you know, as you hinted, a lot of teachers have now experienced videoing themselves because they're on 
you know, their video conferencing platform of choice as part of teaching during the pandemic. Uh, so it's a lot easier for them to conceptualize being on video, being seen on video, pushing a record button inside of a piece of software. However, uh, you know, your first time out of the gate doesn't need to be some sort of huge lift, uh, big observation, big deep dive analysis, you know, start small. Hey, Adam, um, why don't you, um, you know, record the first five minutes of your lesson uh, so we can just see how you're, you know, teeing up uh, objectives and, uh, you know, kind of student behavior expectations and norms for the beginning of, of a hybrid class. Um, I'm kind of riffing there a little bit, but I'm just trying to say that first bite, you know, take a bite. Don't try and gobble the whole thing all at once. I love your idea of don't do video to a teacher of really letting them own that. And even just sometimes I find like you were speaking of lowering that inhibition and them turning it away from themselves and seeing what the students are doing first and then gradually building up and being willing to turn it on themselves over time. Almost that gradual release into video coaching is powerful, those small snippets. Absolutely. I am very guilty of defaulting to saying uh, record a teacher. Uh, I am guilty of saying that mainly because I am like teacher first, teacher first, teacher first. But I agree with you completely that you need to be recording more than just a teacher when you talk about recording learning episodes, right? It is not about uh, what is the teacher doing all the time. It is, you know, there's such huge opportunity to use video, um, you know, let's uh, in in the in person classroom. I'd say put the camera near the kids doing small group work, and in the in the Zoom room classroom, I'd say put it in the breakout room, right? But uh, capture some of that student talk and really like use that opportunity to hear what students are saying. Like, like you said, what an easy way to kind of build the on ramp to using video for a tool for reflection. So you touched on it a little earlier about um, the research base of why video is so important. Can you tell us a little more about why it's so vital to put the video evidence at the center of professional learning or give teachers that mirror into their teaching? Um, I mean, I, I think that the real reason that, I mean, let, let's even step away from the research basis actually. You know, let's talk about the world that we live in. We all, for many years now, have carried around high-definition, internet-connected video cameras in our pockets. And it is completely normal for, in the course of a day, for the average adult, uh, let alone learner in one of our schools, but the average adult to have seen some sort of internet content that was video-based. Uh, that's not by accident. Sure, the technology enables it, but we like video, right? Like, it tells us so much more information than an image or an animated uh, GIF image. So uh, I think there's a, an aspect of this that's like, okay, the world around us clearly is using video. Uh, then like, what else do I see in the world around me? Like the idea of watching a sports game and having instant replay, uh, the way that if you are an athlete, you video your swim stroke and analyze your positioning in the water. So Video is used in those scenarios to, uh, for lack of a better word, like diagnose, understand, uh, analyze, interpret. Um, so even just kind of like from a gut feeling, like there's this like, okay, so I see a lot of examples of video being used to help adults learn. Uh, why, why don't we do that in education? Like, aren't we supposed to be thoughtful about how humans learn. A lot of times we talk about how students learn, but we also talk about how adults learn. We talk about professional learning and, and, and change management and things like that. So why aren't we doing that? Right. So I think it's important to kind of ask that of ourselves because um, it avoids needing to position the opportunity that video presents us as like this innovative, new whiz bang kind of, yeah, let's do it uh, because the research or, oh, let's do it because we've never done it before. Like, Maybe we should be doing it because it kind of feels like, uh, um, oh, yeah, obvious. Uh, and then we should absolutely justify why we're doing it with the research, right? The research does say that those video artifacts as kind of these, uh, and, and, you know, video 
is not a uh, 100% representation of a classroom. I want to you know, acknowledge that. I'm not suggesting that. But a video artifact of what happened is uh, as close as we can get to enabling the teacher to directly observe themselves and come to a shared understanding about what is happening in their classroom. And that shared understanding could be between them and their students. It could be that shared understanding between them and a colleague uh, on a team or in a department. It could be a shared understanding with a school leader or it could be a coach, right? That, um, and I'm trying to avoid saying the word like it represents a, a truth, right? But it, it does represent a, uh, a clear set of facts that can be discussed and it enables that conversation then uh, about what teaching practice is looking like or what student learning is looking like to be based in fact rather than being based in remembrance. Can you explain about the idea of skill building sequence? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so skill building sequence uh, is a strategy in the book that we uh, have written about to kind of give a name to the idea that um, there's a linkage between having a video model of, or, or any sort of model of what you would do and doing the implementation in your classroom. So, you know, let's roll back the clock five years uh, and some of your teachers are uh, learning about the stand on your left foot method, right? And so they went to a downtown workshop and they watched somebody stand on his or her left foot and then they practiced doing stand on his or her, uh, standing on your left foot. And then they were let, back into the classrooms and they tried to stand on their left foot and then what happened? We don't know. Nobody knows, right? Uh, and more importantly, the teacher didn't know were they standing on their left foot correctly. Uh, and so skill building sequence really closes that loop of feedback, right? Between the example, uh, whether it is, uh, you know, an expert uh, or it could just be a colleague demonstrating the thing, right? It doesn't have to be an exemplar. It could just be an example. Uh, and building a representation in one's mind about the thing you need to do, and then putting it into practice inside of the learning environment uh, where you're the teacher, documenting that with a video recording, and then being able to reflect on that implementation. Uh, uh, hopefully, I mean, I always advocate with others as possible, um, but again, even being able to compare for yourself, how am I doing compared to that model that I was trying to implement, uh, that side-by-side -side comparison is, is, you know, very, very powerful. Um, so uh, that's skill building sequence in a nutshell. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the nice thing with tools like Athena is that you have a, a technical um, process and system to underpin moving all that data around, which would otherwise, you know, could present some logistical challenges for coaches. Yeah, and that's really what makes Athena so powerful as a coaching tool to be able to pull them and that data together and time, date, stamp it even and have that conversation all documented in there. It really brings it all together. Good to hear. <laughs> We've even been able to use it with some of our early career educators and the fact that it's all recorded within Athena they're able to almost coach and reflect with one another with some guiding principles. And then we're able to kind of just help keep that process moving forward. So that peer collaboration through Athena is also a powerful tool because you can go back and reflect and come back with your coach, even if you're with your teammate or your partner or someone in a like job. It's just uh, that recording over time and seeing your timeline of progress can be really helpful for people's um, efficacy level, for sure. Well, I think you're identifying one of the kind of... Uh, you, know, you can call it like a force multiplier or kind of a an un, unintended benefit of having a tool set like Athena is that you as a coach are no longer restricted to the one-on-one -on -one style of coaching, right? You can coach a cadre of teachers to coach each other, right? Because ultimately, the the system that you as a coach are a part of cannot, you know, like each, you can never hire enough coaches, right? Every leader in a district exactly. says, oh, I wish I had double, triple, quadruple the number of coaches I have, right? So there's always this like, uh, um, uh, you know, desire to have more coaches. Why? Because right now in a world where we've thought about coaching as in-person one-to-one as a very kind of uh, uh, restrictive way of coaching, uh, for lack of a better word of saying it, um, now we can rethink how coaches are using their uh, abilities and efforts to amplify the changes that are happening among 
like you're saying, a, a whole set of teachers at once. It's kind of like a coach on a team for a sports team, right? Uh, rather than thinking of the instructional coach as you know the uh, you know individual uh, golf swing coach, right? It's you know you're coaching that the whole the whole team. Uh, to achieve a goal together, which is, I think, more akin to what a school is really like, because teachers that think of themselves as operating in isolation uh, need to be having some other discussions about how schools work uh, anyway. So, you know, I think let's adjust our coaching to match how we actually think about serving uh, students in our schools, uh, because they are in a school. They're not in a classroom. Uh, They're in a school environment, in a school community. It's that meta-coaching idea of you're coaching them to coach one another, to build that capacity throughout your site and calibrating your reality versus the perception that we think or we're feeling when we're teaching in a specific lesson, right? Um, You you Mm kind of touched on this um, of how, can you tell us more about how you might help someone who's reluctant to this practice? We've heard this thread a little bit throughout our interview thus far, but how can you help them to be more open to these types of learning experiences? Or, or what do you draw upon when you're trying to work with an educator who's, who's nervous about the video side um, and, and doing this reflective practice? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, if we hold aside what I've said before, right? And let's say you were asking me this, you know, fresh, you didn't have any of that other context of what I've shared before, I would really break down kind of the barriers to getting going into two buckets. One is there is often a hesitation underlying the kind of technology itself. Um, Because, you know, I mentioned everybody's, you know, watching videos on the internet, but most people haven't uploaded a video to the internet. Maybe they uploaded a cat video Right, but they haven't uploaded a 10 minute or a 15 minute or a 20 minute video. And that can sound technically daunting until you've done it and realize that you can be successful. Just like with any technology, there's some resistance, right? Because no teacher wants to kind of get stuck on the technical pieces and look uh, less competent to their colleagues, right? So I think um, thinking about the technical experience as an important first barrier to the video reflection process and building that in, right? Making that first experience low risk, right? So, um, you know, we talked about, you know, recording the students, recording the beginning of the lesson in in the quote before times. What I would suggest is I would say, look, like the first thing you should have teachers do is do a classroom tour where they just walk around the classroom and they narrate why they've set it up a certain way um, and talk about what they hope the learning environment how it will impact student learning. Um, why is that so valuable? Because it's really low risk, right? There is no wrong version of that video, and it's it's generative and productive for the actual coaching process, uh, whether that's colleagues uh, doing a virtual visit or an instructional coach uh, doing a visit. It helps others have context for the classroom and learning environment. So I think it it's not just um, low risk. It's not a throwaway kind of ask, right? It's, it's, it's very, it's much more productive as an example than asking teachers to upload a first video where they, you know, do uh, point the camera at their face and give you 90 seconds of what their teaching philosophy is or whatever, you know, like that's kind of, I don't know, you know, like, uh, like we don't really need to do that. I mean, you need to know what people are thinking, but that's not how you need to know what people are thinking. Uh, Okay. So the first thing is the technical piece. I think the second piece is kind of where we were talking about it before. We're like making sure they feel in charge, making sure that the trust is established, the ground rules. How will this be? Um, how will this be used? Making sure they sit, feel safe, right? So um, that they, they the process um, doesn't put them at risk, and and risk can feel different to different people. But I think communicating that. I mean, for example, from a technical perspective, one thing we've done with Edthena is this idea that you upload a video and it defaults to private. No one can see that video until you share it. You can share it and then you can unshare it, right? Like that's something on the technical side that we've um, taken, a, taken a very firm approach on. Um, and, we, and we do our best to communicate that to teachers to communicate that the technology is keep helping to keep them safe. And then I think in the coaching relationship, then you, t- you know, make sure that you use those videos in a, in a safe, uh, lower risk way at first. Uh, so that they don't feel like the risks 
associated with having somebody talk about video with you are the same as if you had gone in in person and only focused on everything that was wrong. And I'm not suggesting you need to focus on things that are right just to say like, good job and kind of mishmash the bad with the good, right? But I think it's more like, you got to think about how you're interacting with people. Like teachers are people, uh, especially if we're in a world where we're maybe not sitting side by side in the same building anymore uh, to talk about what we're seeing in this video together. Like we just need to be really uh, deliberate that we um, offer constructive praise and create those opportunities for them to start, um, you know, seeing avenues for improvement. Uh, there's one other thing uh, that I think is like an addendum to this, how do you keep people getting, you know, feeling good about video, which is um, remember that, you know, like video gives you in some ways all the information, right? It's, it's unfiltered. So um, in a world without using video, which, you know, I wouldn't advocate to, to stop using video with teachers, but one of the biases that a coach or an observer brings to that conversation is that they've filtered out what information they're going to report back to the teacher for the purposes of discussing it with the teacher. The video, everything's there, uh, which means that you need to be very deliberate in not trying to talk about everything. You know, talk about a few things. Talk, focus on one area. Focus on one segment rather than trying to do the kind of kitchen sink version of of, of an observation, and then somebody feels leaving overwhelmed, uh, then you know that's going to have created that negative experience. So I think building those positive moments where they feel confident and secure and safe in doing uh, a video reflection is really key. There are so many great parallels there that we do as students. You scaffold their learning, you build that trust with them, and then ask them to take risks. And it's exactly the same with teachers. We have to build it <laughs> with them slowly and build that trust at the same time. And then the willingness will definitely come. Can you share with us a bit about the idea of video learning communities and how these might be implemented? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the idea of a PLC is, is absolutely nothing new. Um, and, uh, you know, why are PLCs important? Professional learning communities, for those that are unfamiliar and listening to this, uh, you know, they're that opportunity to come and, and together and, and talk as colleagues and, you know, it's that structured space and time. Uh, a, a video learning community, a VLC, really is saying, okay, like, in addition to thinking of your professional learning community as, um, you know, talking about student data or student outcomes, it's really starting to really dig in and prioritize the idea of talking about uh, the actual learning environments themselves. Um, really using the evidence of learning, uh, whether that's students uh, doing something, whether that's teachers doing something, you know, it's all dependent on the particular focus of the professional learning community. But making video a central um, kind of unifying purpose of that and that a central activity of that. So there's uh, an idea in the academic research uh, that I want to pay uh, a nod to in this explanation called video clubs where uh, you use a protocol to look at a video and talk about what you're seeing. Um, so video learning communities are a video club uh, idea kind of translated to the context and using that familiar familiarity around PLC and saying, look, like, do the PLC, but this time with video. Um, so there's not much more, I guess, hidden there in terms of a definition or explanation um, you know, for those that are being introduced to this idea, I, I would hope that they would feel like, oh, yeah, I get it. Like, we do a PLC, but now we use a lot of video and we can, uh, you know, spend our synchronous time reflecting on the asynchronous comments that we left each other, right? There are ver various ways to do it, uh, but uh, really using video as a central theme of discussing how is our community moving forward for our students. And I really wonder in this time where teachers aren't able to stop by and visit each other's classrooms, if this would really help them feel connected by partaking uh, in this kind of club environment. I mean, especially given that, um, you know, there's this other layer happening for, I, I mean, I, I will paint with a broad brush here, but, uh, you know, every teacher feels like a new teacher this year. <laughs> like, even if you've been in your school for 19 years, right? Like this year still feels like 
year one of teaching all over again. Why is that? Because so many things have changed, right? I mean, um, I know in your district, you've got a hybrid model. Some districts are in fully virtual models. Some are, you know, doing, uh, you know, just a, a bunch of different configurations. And on all these things are really having teachers question, like, am I doing this right? Is this, is this working? Is this, is this effective? Um, and being able to see other representations of teaching right now is so important. And doing that work of seeing other representations of teaching and learning from your colleagues, I think, uh, really like turns the flywheel of your ability to have impact with your students. Because now not only are you looking at ideas that you could maybe implement into your practice or reflecting on your practice and hearing about your practice from others, but it is in the context of helping, uh, you know, the people that you're spending that time with talking about what does practice look like right now actually are able to take that and implement that with the same set of students potentially. Absolutely. I've seen that with certain staffs where they'll um, almost give a survey to themselves of what do you feel like is your area of strength and what do you feel like is your area of need? And almost they almost make a chart that they could go triangulate. Who could I go talk to? Is Courtney amazing in classroom management in a hybrid? Can I go bop into her room or possibly at least know who I could ask to share some video with and be able to do some of those reflective practices as to how to elevate. It's, it's amazing when they're able to collaborate and be vulnerable with one another and have those deep, meaningful, reflective conversations. And, and you know what's funny is that uh, I think that the use of video to kind of answer that set of questions, right, that I would record myself and share my video with you, um, we're doing it now because we have to. And I think there's an, another important layer here as coaches and school leaders and school and district administrators really thinking like, again, like, yes, absolutely, we should be driving forward fast on this idea right now, because of the context, but also, absolutely, like, let me bang myself against the head a little bit, like, absolutely, we should continue doing this, because this is the best way to ensure that we can amplify what's working faster in our network of teachers. It is absolutely silly to, to kind of put in your head a line of thinking that says, well, you know, Teacher Smith is, uh, a, you know, a reliable source of, of exemplar teaching. You know, she's very flexible. She's very innovative. Uh, but, you know, next year when, when uh, or two years from now, hopefully next year, uh, but whenever life goes back to normal, right, uh, then we'll make sure that we send teachers to go observe her in the classroom. Like, how silly, how wasteful. Because not only is that absolutely inefficient, not only is there lost learning time for the teachers who leave their classrooms, not only is it logistically complicated, but you're just kind of giving away the ability to kind of capture what's happening right now and continue to learn from it over time. You know, don't, don't pass up this good opportunity to keep learning. Exactly. And it seems like it's a year where we have more focus on that innovation and that flexibility. So what better time to actually capture it, hit record while it's easy to hit record. We're already videoing anyway and decide what we want to share with others and what we don't and just be able to be reflective in our own way. Um, I, I, I always notice that with video more than any other form of data, you have more cognitive shift. You see people's face literally change when they're watching their video back or when they see the student have a breakthrough on video. Um, I, I've never seen a sheet of data have the same this like the reaction across people's face that you can see the cognitive shift. So um, just looking at that as a powerful data point as well is really important. And, and I want to drill in a little further with you of what unique ways are you seeing video and Athena leverage during this pandemic year of teaching? What, what have you seen that's different this year or how it's being leveraged in any way? Well, I mean, I think one of the uh, biggest changes is what do the videos look like? I mean, a year ago, videos were almost all of in-classroom, in-person teaching. And, uh, you know, today, videos are looking a lot different. Um, you know, the, the ability to record inside of that video conferencing system, I mean, I, I know we've kind of uh, pointed it out as, as like, a, oh, yeah, like it's an obvious, right? But it's an obvious several months into the school year, uh, but even so, you know, I have personally had conversations with district leaders where they're trying to reconcile like, oh, well, we don't have in-person teaching anymore. So would, 
how do we use Athena for our coaching process? And it's like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, it's so much easier to have a coaching process that uses video artifacts now because the like, all you had to do was just click record. You didn't even have to set up a camera. Um, so I, I think that's one of the ways it's different. It's surprising uh, that we haven't really, um, I mean, in this conversation, we're accepting it as a widespread like truth. And I think that for a lot of folks, there is still a bias uh, that, you know, oh, my, you know, my coaches go in person. So now they're going to go synchronously to the 10 a.m. on a Tuesday classroom session. And, uh, you know, it, I think we're working with school leaders and district leaders to really, like, drill into that and, like, wait a second, if every teacher is teaching Tuesday at 10 a.m., how is it? It's even less possible now for your coaches to do synchronous observations. So, you know, why are you um, kind of putting up that mental barrier to kind of just kind of letting it letting it happen? Um, and so I think that's a place where we've we've been working uh, to kind of just help people see that it's in some ways easier. Um, another thing that we've been focused on is actually just kind of talking about, again, some of the strategies like video learning community, like skill building sequence that you asked me about, uh, and translating that to a world where you're using uh, virtual interactions between students and teachers. So um, one that we're working on uh, currently uh, and probably will be available by the time folks are listening to this, you know, we're actually talking about the idea of virtual office hours. So, you know, how powerful that is as an idea, of course, right now when students may have questions and want to ask teachers and you need to build student-teacher relationships. And there's a long list of reasons why this is a good idea as a strategy in a school setting. But actually saying, wait a second, those office hours, you could record them and they could be powerful opportunities to observe student talk and get a rich source of data then for the teacher and the coach to really talk about like, well, what are students thinking? Um, and so helping connect the dots between what was important before, you know, under, you know, listening student understanding as part of a lesson uh, and thinking creatively about how you're going to do that using the technology in some ways to, to you know, kind of make it easier as long as you kind of know or have the idea that it could be possible. Yeah, so really leveraging the moment we're in and having this technology in our hands, you know, where is that going to further video and the new coaching model that we're using? It's kind of an exciting time when you can step back mm -hmm. and look at the progress. And I think I'm getting better at, at asking, well, what was important to you before the pandemic started? Um, and drawing the line between those um, values that someone had for their classroom or their school or their district and how they're probably still the same values today. Uh, because I think we're in a mode where we're so used to talking about how everything has changed. And sure, so absolutely, some things are changed. Uh, but maybe instead of kind of being caught in this feeling of everything has changed, we should really like find out if the things that were important to us are still important to us. Because in fact, those things may have stayed the same uh, and whether that's, you know, an operational priority of what kind of things you're focusing on as part of coaching conversations or just, um, you know, school and community values, you know, whatever it is, those, those kind of truths are probably still true. And if you can anchor against those, then it's not about, uh, we're using technology in a new way or, or we're teaching differently. It's just really about continuing to live that same set of priorities and, and vision and mission um, as, a, as, a, as a community uh, of learners and teachers, um, you know, and, and orient, I guess, anchoring against that, right? So rather than orienting against the change, orienting against what's still the same and just, you know, you got to, adapting is hard. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes energy, but adapting how we continue to, to live that goal. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's something that educators and coaches need to hear over and over again, because it's easy to get stuck in that dialogue of what has changed versus anchoring against that. I really appreciate it. But I'm dying to know about Justin Bieber and how this all ties in. <laughs> and that was, that was definitely more than one question. So I think you were tricky trying to make sure your listeners stayed. Okay, so uh, the idea for Athena happens because of Justin Bieber. 
Uh, so this is 2009, maybe. Um, and uh, I mean, it's funny because this just isn't how you share things anymore. So a quote viral post actually was a link to an, a blog article that someone had shared, you know, via email or something. Uh, and the blog post was, listen to this Justin Bieber song, slowed down 300x. And I went to this webpage, and it was the first time I had seen the SoundCloud music player. And uh, you know, a lot of folks have heard of SoundCloud. Maybe uh, if you go to their website, they've got a, a music player that allows uh, the audience to comment at specific moments in time on audio uh, is one of the kind of things that they offer. And I just... That was the moment where I was having this kind of aha related to the thing that I was listening to, right? Because the, the aha was hidden inside of this audio file. And so, you know, at two minutes and 12 seconds, when it sounded like for some reason, you know, a symphony coming in uh, in unison, or I don't really remember, right? But it was very kind of symphonic and grand uh, and in you know, you could mark that. You could you could really highlight that moment, um, and it was that combined with the other context of what was changing in technology. There was uh, at the time uh, flip cameras were the were the new hotness. Uh, so it was like, okay, if people got flip cameras uh, to record the videos, and then we built tools where you could leave comments on the videos. And of course, you know, technically, we had to figure out how to get the videos online and all that stuff. But that was the kind of aha for me that I was like, okay maybe then you don't have to have the right person in the right place at the right time in order to do that observation. You could talk about what's happening in classrooms and do it asynchronously so that the time you do spend together, you focus it on making meaning about what you saw rather than trying to convince each other about what you saw. My mind is blown. It all goes back to the Bieber. Oh my goodness. So being able to slow down his video or his sound and being able to hear those insights and it just popping off in an educational realm for you. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Came just a little bit more now. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, I would have told you I hadn't heard a Justin Bieber song, but now, you know, I I absolutely have heard Justin Bieber songs. Not ashamed to tell you. The Biebs, a big influence on on what I do every day. He started that time. Sam brings you right to Edthena. Unbelievable. (laughs) Well, we want to be able to hear a little bit more from you. Where can we learn more from and with you, Adam? And what other projects do you have coming down the pipe to share with us? Yeah. So if uh, you're interested in resources about coaching, uh, reflection, how to use video as part of that process, head to the Edthena website. We've got a blog there. So go to www.edthena.com. That's E-D-T-H-E-N-A.com. Uh, so you go to the blog. We have really regular posts um, where we talk about things like using the office hours to hear student talk. Um, we talk to a bunch of experts and, and kind of summarize those on our blog as well. Uh, monthly resources for coaches. Uh, go, go, go check it out. Uh, also, uh, in addition, um, if you want a more in-depth resource, you were mentioning the book that we have. So that's Evidence of Practice. You can buy that at your favorite online retailer. Uh, We also have some blog posts that highlight some of the big ideas and some of the strategies from that. So if you're cruising around, you can find it on the internet for sure. Uh, And the other thing is that as part of uh, our response to um, the pandemic and really trying to create resources that were valuable for, uh, certainly for teachers, uh, but also for coaches and school leaders, we have been uh, working on a project called PL Together, and the idea is that we interview education experts out there. Uh, so we've talked to Deborah Ball, we've talked to Jim Knight, we've talked to Elena Aguilar, uh, and uh, really just trying to learn from them uh, about how to adapt some of their ideas that maybe we're familiar with, but to a COVID and pandemic context. Um, so they're all kind of bite-sized chunks, you know, 10 to 12 minutes, uh, easy to kind of listen to a bit here and there. Um, and you can find that at pltogether.org. What a wealth of amazing resources for us to dive into. We love that. And we'll be linking all of those things for you guys to be looking at further. And Adam, we're going to jump to the 30-second rapid fire questions today. So if you can think, what is your tagline or bumper sticker for coaching? So I did not come up with this, but I think that you got to ask, how are you doing? 
really. And making sure that you create that opportunity for someone to feel like they can tell you authentically what's important from their perspective, uh, not from your perspective. Absolutely. How many times have we have educators say, thank you for just asking, how really am I? I mean, what a beautiful way to start a coaching conversation. And lastly, tell us, what is your secret coaching superpower or your go-to move? I end almost all conversations by asking, is there anything else I can be helpful with? Um, oh. Similarly, if I'm, if I'm uh, depending on the context, sometimes I, uh, uh, you know, context dependent, I might say, you know, are there any questions I should be asking but don't know to ask? Um, so either of those, uh, but often in a kind of coaching style conversation, I would say it's more in the realm of, uh, you know, is there anything else I can be helpful with? Um, because again, I think it creates that it opens the door for something else to be shared, uh, that's on the other person's list that they may not have revealed. Um, and it's again, oriented around this idea of, uh, supporting and enabling someone else's success as the, as you said, that coach, uh, kind of role, right? You're you're supporting someone else. Uh, you're not doing the work for them necessarily. You're trying to help them be successful, and it, and it just gives them an opportunity to kind of highlight any additional barriers that may not have already been talked about. It's beautiful. The bookends of the conversation, starting with the social emotional, how are you, and ending with how else might I be able to help you. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. It was wonderful to be able to have you join us today and share so many of your wonderful insights with our listeners. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you guys are building this set of resources for coaches. Uh, it, it makes a difference. You guys make a difference with your teachers too. I didn't get a chance to say that, but I, I know that uh, since I've had a opportunity to interact with uh, you, you guys before. So thank you. Thank you. Who's thinking will you mediate today?